Hey everyone. Hello. Before we get started this week, just a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. As always. This episode is a listener request, as our last few have been. If you are a listener who would like to make a request, just get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Get in touch on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Or hit us up on Twitter, dragonbabiespod, or Instagram, dragonbabiespodcast. And we can all drink chocolate together. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. This is Grace adding on a quick little note. We also have a review to shout out because we got a new one. Whenever you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will give you your very own badass lady meter rating, which I know everybody wants. Um, so this review was from Amethyst Day. Uh, it was really delightful. Just a preview. The title was Five Butterpies Out of Five, which um, is like the highest praise I could ever that we could ever hope to receive. So thank you so much, Amethyst Day. Your rating is a bowl of unicorn hair soup that is not only extremely nourishing and delicious, but cures you of any ailments in a thoroughly magical fashion. Thank you so much for listening and reviewing. Now the episode. Hi, I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We Dragon Babies. Dragon oh, Babies. Oh, oh my God, it's still <laughs> happening. <laughs> I'm done now. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, Sorcery and Cecilia, or The Enchanted Chocolate Pot by yes. Patricia C. Reedy and Carolyn Stevermer. This book was a listener request. Thank you, Dan, for the request. As we mentioned in the intro, if you'd like to request a beloved book for coverage, please just get in touch. We love listener requests. Saves us work and it lets us give you exactly what you want. <laughs> it's true. Um, and to be clear, this is a book that I also loved very much when I was younger and it was fascinating to reread um we will discuss all that and so much more but first let's do our quick marketing breakdown um before we get started on that i do want to mention this book was originally published in 1988 it was re-released oh, in 2003 that's what we had when we were younger and that is what we have today um and when it was re-released it was followed um, pretty shortly after, by two sequels, uh, mm -hmm. The Grand Tour and The Mislaid Magician. I'd like to read those. So, Madeline, would you like to describe the way that the publisher has chosen to package and promote this novel? Yeah, I, uh, I do enjoy it. I just noticed, actually, that there's a spooky tree there going is. all... Maybe Aww. a person. Yeah, behind them. And uh, I don't know who's supposed to be who, but there's two <laughs> two young ladies. Yeah, I mean, we don't ever really learn much about their physical attributes. Um, yeah, I kind of thought of them as like almost twins, like yeah. the same. Pretty interchangeable, yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and uh, I like the way that they are definitely 
um, handsome young ladies, but also they don't just look like Barbies. Mm -hmm. They have their own uh, set of facial features that is interesting and different. It's not the Disney effect where every princess has the same face. Right, right. And uh, in particular, I really like the way their noses were illustrated. Mm -hmm. Um, And they both look very pragmatic and intelligent and very capable. one of them has a bonnet and a huge, oh, it must is a peacock feather. And the other has a spell pouch, a charm pouch. So that's how we're getting our distinguishing characteristics then, because Kate must be the one with the fancier hat. Yeah. And Cecilia is the one with the, the spell pouch. Spell pouch yeah. yeah. And it says K on it. So and maybe she's but then like it could be her giving it, it to, to her. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind good. Of good job, uh, cover designers, and yeah. being mystified. Nice details, though. Yeah. No, yeah, we love for we sure. love a good cover detail here at Dragon Babies. Our favorite covers are ones like these that are art that's very clearly specifically created yeah. in service of the story. And I really like the text, like the mm-hmm. written text superimposed. This is an epistolary novel, oh, yeah. and I learned what that is. Um, after Grace said it like five times and I was like, what the heck is she talking about? And I looked it up. <laughs> Glad I forced you to learn something about <laughs> literature. <laughs> and it's done in like a tasteful way because a lot of times when things are superimposed on covers, it has like Script a... Script on covers especially. I'm a freshman in high school and oh I took a graphic God, yeah. design class. <laughs> no, just like every um, high school literary magazine yeah. in the country has, you know, type set out across yeah. like some mm-hmm. kind of superimposed image. The chocolate pot is beautiful. It's the only non-sepia toned thing on the cover and it's it's got it's blue, it's got um the flowers on it, uh, and it just looks really cool and it desperately makes me want drinking chocolate. Yeah, we're we're hungry. Yeah. Um hungry for chocolate. And uh, it's I like it. I for me this cover is an A. It drew me in when I was younger. Um, I didn't need much drawing in already because Patricia C. Reedy's Enchanted Forest Chronicles mm-hmm. were some of, m- some of my absolute favorite books. Um, we do have an episode on dealing with dragons if you'd like to go check that out. But the cover art is really compelling and it right away sets out there's not just one main female character in this book, but two of them, which is mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. On the back, there is a piece of parchment sort of... A letter. ...placed on the... <laughs> lost my ability to describe things today. <laughs> um, and uh, written on it in kind of flowy text is... It says, Dear reader, a great deal is happening in London this season. For starters, there's the witch who tried to poison Kate at the Royal College of Wizards. She must have mistaken Kate for the mysterious Marquis, which is curious since they look nothing alike. And a handsome man seems to be spying on Cecilia, though he's not doing a very good job of it. So just what are his intentions? Then there's the strange spell that has made our friend Dorothea the toast of the town. Could it possibly have something to do with the charm bag under Oliver's bed? Speaking of Oliver, how long can we make excuses for him? Ever since he was turned into a tree, he hasn't bothered to tell anyone where he is. Clearly, magic is a deadly and dangerous business, and we might be in fear for our lives. If only we weren't having so much fun. Love, Sessie and Kate. Um, so there are things that I like about this, and then there are things I find patronizing. Um, I 
just it's very obvious to me, having just read the book, that this is not written by the authors. Well, it betrays the entire structure of the book because it's a letter from both of them um, that's pulled completely out of like the period and the events. Um, and it's, I mean, it doesn't really, it yeah. also feels like it's aimed at a younger audience. And I think the book is appropriate for, yeah, because the book is, it's a lot, the language used in this blurb is much simpler than the language right. actually used in the book. It's not written in Regency era right. English. Yeah. Which the book very much is. Uh, and that's part of the reason why, like they don't even use any big words on the back. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing. I, th- I think it's just aimed at a much younger audience. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's not awesome because I don't know, maybe, yeah, get them, get them reading this book when they're young. But I also feel like if I had tried to read this book when I was too young, I would have been like, this is for adults. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very, yeah, it's written in Regency English. And there are a lot of characters and it's, some stuff is kind of, you know... There's a lot of th- exposition events that are being told and not shown just mm-hmm. because of the very nature of letter writing, yeah. um, which improves as the book goes on and mm-hmm. they start to get into more of the action. Um, mm-hmm. But during this setup, I think it would be hard for a yeah mm-hmm. a young, yeah. a quite young reader. Um, yeah, so I like the cover of this book, but the blurb is not doing it for me at all. But, you know, the events that are laid out in the blurb are also pretty fun and intriguing. Yeah, and one of the things I do like about it is that they said a lot of the main plot points without spoiling anything. Yeah, it still feels mysterious. I'm curious to know how these events came to be. So I will do a quick plot summary for anyone who may not have read the book before, who hasn't revisited it in a while. Uh, We do, here at Dragon Babies, we do thoroughly spoil every book we cover, so be forewarned. This is an epistolary novel, which means that it is composed of letters, and the letters are sent between two cousins. One is named Kate, and she is in London for her first season, her release into society. And the other is Cecilia, who is in Essex in the country on her family's manor, um, kind of just keeping up with life as usual. She is not allowed to have a season yet because of an incident with a goat that we don't get the full details. <laughs> yeah, it's referenced throughout the book, but we never actually find out exactly what, happened, what happened, which I kind of love. Um, the book is set in 1817, and it is concerned with real-life events that occurred yeah. in England mm-hmm. during the Regency era. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. It's done in the style of a... Jane Austen novel yeah. pretty pretty clearly. And the authors both acknowledge her as one of their influences at the outset. So the cousins are writing letters to each other at first just about daily life, their goings on, they're very close. And then some weird things start to go down. Um, in London, Kate stumbles into a room with a beautiful older lady in it who offers her some chocolate from a blue porcelain chocolate pot and it becomes clear that it's some kind of assassination attempt on someone named Thomas because <laughs> the woman refers to her as if she is Thomas in disguise and that sets off the chain of events that lead to the two cousins becoming increasingly involved in a wide-scale 
plot by two magicians mm. to remove magic from some promising young people in by killing them but it's well, like yeah. vampiric right uh, magic consumption Ma- magic is integrated into society in mm-hmm. this book um the magicians are very much a part of the nobility and everything else that's going on both in London and in Essex. There's a Royal College of Wizards. Um, there's no uh, stratification between like magical and non-magical people. Everyone is, yeah, very integrated. So interesting version of England. Um, I'm not going to go through point by point everything that happens uh because there's just a lot of back and forth yeah. and it's taking place in two different areas simultaneously courses of there's events. kind of like two plots but then they also weave together quite right. substantially so in the end both cousins have two each of them has a man who they're working with to try to help prevent this mysterious plot from being carried out in the end, they both fall in love with their fellas. Everyone gets married. They're, they're smart, lovable, and grumpy. Including one of their aunts also gets married. Um, and Cecilia along the way discovers that she has a pretty incredible aptitude for magic, learns more about the magical history within her family, and starts studying it. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's enough to mm. like start off yeah. our discussion. Um because it's a very, I mean, I wouldn't, it's a pretty plot heavy book. Um, I, I think if only because it is written in this style where it's from the point of view of two young women who are concerned with a lot of different things in their lives. Um, mm-hmm. Kate, especially she's in London and she's out in society for the first time. So she's trying to relay everything that's happening with, um, the balls and events she's attending and all the people around her. But at the same time, she's very confused by these mysterious, uh, the mysterious lady Miranda, um, as well as Sir Hillary, the other antagonist. Um, and Cecilia is trying to learn magic, but she's also just trying to like not be imprisoned <laughs> in her bedroom all the time. Yeah. Both of their, neither of them have moms. Um, Kate also doesn't seem to have a father, and so they're in the care of their aunts, and their aunts are pretty strict uh, for a lot of different reasons. Although I would say Aunt Charlotte is a bad person, and yeah. Aunt Elizabeth is a good person, yeah, so that's I a agree. pretty big difference there. Yeah. Um, and they're also, you know, encountering first love. Um, first and final love. First and final love, because <laughs> that's... That's how it works for a woman of society in England in 1817. You meet someone, you kiss him, and then you get married to him, and that is it. Though luckily, both of the men that they've met, kissed, and married uh, seem like pretty pretty decent types, especially as far as Regency England goes. Definitely. And I haven't read the two sequels because they just came out a little after my mm-hmm. after my time as a young reader. Um, but I know that in them they carry on their adventures and their magical education um, yeah. alongside their husbands. And it, sorry, did you want to finish a thought? No, go ahead. If I could dig right into this right away. Usually it really rubs me the wrong way when everyone at the end of a book gets married. Mm-hmm. Um this one didn't. I mean, I started to, and then I thought about it more. It does, I mean, it's basically a period piece with magic woven in. And 
owing to that fact, for one, I appreciated that they didn't really go out of their way to discuss um, Kate and Ceci's ages mm-hmm. um, because that allowed us to pretend yeah. that they're a lot older than they in reality would have been if yes. you know this story had really taken place in Regency England, um, which helps because you get the feeling that both the dudes are like 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helps to think like pretend that the women are like, you know, 20s at least instead of teens. Teenagers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so young teens. Um, yeah. And also because the getting married part isn't there. There is even a line that I appreciated where she was like, oh, we have to pay attention to like how weird kids are just in case either of us ever have kids instead of saying when we have exactly. kids. Being I so really focused, appreciated that. Being so focused on uh, getting married, starting a family, mm-hmm. running their own home. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually set as the opposition to their counterparts who are concerned about that, mm-hmm. who in Cecilia's case is Dorothea and Kate's case, Georgina, yes. who are beautiful young women who have a lot of suitors, Dorothea mm-hmm. kind of against her wishes, but she's also very concerned with getting married. That's, yeah. that's her mm-hmm. main goal. Yeah. Um, whereas Kate and Cecilia are both, I mean, they have their own unique interests. They're by no means the same character, um, but they're both, I would say, more interested in travel, education, um, and also just kind Expanding of self-exploration. Yeah, as yeah. human beings, which yeah. is great, which exactly. is very modern. Yeah. Um, Especially because in, wait, I have to check which aunt I'm, okay, in Kate's case, marriage is actually quite empowering because her aunt Charlotte is like controlling and bad and yeah, and she, it's it's emotionally abuses her and blames her for Georgina's shortcomings. Right. So it's freedom for her uh, to be able to marry Thomas, who's seems uh, good. I mean, he's like an absent-minded type and Mm. kind of an idiot in some ways, but he's also like, I don't know, it's probably good that he's a bit immature since she's probably a bit younger than him. Yes, um, I agree. And this is why... And she's she's switching from a maternal figure who's pretty bad to a maternal figure who's pretty good. uh, With Lady Sylvia. Sylvia, Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Um, And this is why I feel like just going into our old and new impression segment where we talk about how we see the book now versus when we were younger Mm -hmm. and reading it for the first time. Um, I think I gained so much from having context (laughs) uh, Mm. when rereading this book Um, because when you're young and you're encountering something like this where it's very clearly set in our reality but with an also established magical system, it is a little confusing mm. and it can be hard. I think at least it was for me as a young reader to think about like the larger social implications of mm. what yeah. the authors are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also not having read Jane Austen yet when I was first really loved this book when I was young, but I, I knew of Jane Austen and I had seen depictions of Jane Austen's work. Like I'm pretty sure I had seen Pride and Prejudice, um, for the first time when I was pretty young. Um, But I didn't know or understand yet 
the level to which Jane Austen was also really concerned with expressing how women didn't have independence in that era mm-hmm. and their lives and standings did depend on marriage mm-hmm. and how much of focus it was for her to explore that and also give her female characters the ability to be very intelligent and use sarcasm and irony Mm -hmm. um, to express their very clear understanding of their place in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And this book mimics that like perfectly um, in a lot of, in a lot of different ways. I've never read any Austin. That's okay. <laughs> I uh, I read like a little bit of like Anne of Green Gables and I just That's couldn't. It's not Jane Austen? I know. Okay. But it's like literally the closest thing to Jane Austen that I've read. Really? Yes. Okay. Be- because I just didn't want to read any like society piece mm-hmm. about like aristocrats where there was no fantasy involved because I just found it incredibly depressing. Okay. I can understand that. I think especially when you're young, Mm -hmm. um, something and, uh, Ellen Montgomery and of green Gables is, and I'm not saying this to like be mean to you or anything or like, Mm -hmm. uh, trivialize that comparison because I totally understand why you made it. Mm -hmm. But those books are really pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. as compared to Jane Austen. Um, because Austen, was commenting on society. Sure. Um, Whereas and her books Gables are very, like- very funny and very cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the women, the female characters are pretty much always just like, you know, they're rolling their eyes in exasperation and frustration with the place that they are forced to be in mm-hmm. because a lot of the times they're smarter and more capable than the men who are yeah. in charge of them, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and yeah, just larger commentary on society during that era. Um, speaking of which, I will just give a little bit back of background on the Regency era because I think that's helpful. That's also a context that's that made a reread of this book more interesting for me. Um, so the Regency era took place from 1811 to 1820. It was the period during which King George III was basically declared um, mentally unfit to continue to rule oh. as king. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, the prince regent, King George IV, who became King George IV, was serving as the regent, which is why it's the regency era. Like he wasn't technically the monarch because King George III was still alive. Um, but after he died, then he then King George IV okay. uh, took power. Um, he was a patron of the arts and he rebuilt many important works of architecture and commissioned the creation of a lot of art, um, which led it to a kind of like miniature Renaissance for the nobility and the upper classes. Um, So that's part of the reason why we get this kind of output and also literature about the Regency era. Um, But that also meant that he spent a lot of money and also demanded a lot of taxes from his subjects Mm. and Jane Austen hated him um, and also was very frequently in subtle ways because she didn't want to get in trouble. I mean, she was already publishing anonymously, but you know, you don't want to piss off the king. (laughs) Um, but she would, yeah, comment on the excesses of that era. Interesting. Okay. Um, and it was also a time during which society was super stratified and there was a huge wealth gap, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that is 
not explored at all in this book, which makes sense because it's from the point of view of two young ladies of the upper class. class, So they have no understanding Mm -hmm. of there's a like brief discussion at one point of like, thank God we have money. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that's kind of, yeah, that's it in terms of that. Of just being like, otherwise we'd probably be like terrible maids. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So at least that perspective is good. Right. Yeah. So I I guess I shouldn't say they're like completely unaware. I mean, because that's at least some reflection, but there's no concern for money, which is present in a lot of Jane Austen's works. Like there is a financial Mm. um, burden of some kind Mm -hmm. or yeah, they're just not being enough. Okay. Which is interesting. I mean, and it is a big, uh, being able to say stuff like that, being like, oh, you know, it's a dang good thing that we have money. Otherwise, it would be totally screwed is a big distance away from just being like, yeah, whatever. We have money. That's how it is. Life is cool. Right. You know? Yeah. No, it's very true. Um, And the war that, or the military action that James and Thomas refer to at different points in the book is the Napoleonic Wars um, because the Battle of Waterloo was fought like a couple years before this book is set. Mm, yeah. um, so they had just declared peace with France like pretty recently. Okay. So there's also that very realistic setting. Okay. Um, so to have all that like pretty carefully set up throughout the course of this book, like even the gardens that they mentioned going to in London were a real place. Oh, cool. um, yeah. Like, it did feel very rooted in our reality. Yeah. Every, everything I, I really, I appreciated that specificity and then to have m- magic put in <laughs> is just really fun. It reminded me a lot of Diana Wynne Jones, specifically her Crestomancy yes. books. Okay, so this we, book, we've covered Witch Week, so we have an episode on that, which isn't technically a Crestomancy book, um, but he's in it, right? He, yeah, he pops up mm-hmm. and he does some stuff, some Crestomancy stuff. Um, it's funny because this book reminded me of the book Hell's Moving Castle and also the movie Hell's Moving Castle, which is really different in a lot of ways from the book, um, especially the scene like in the greenhouse where she faces down the wizard, uh, yeah. and then uh, her. And then at the end of the book, there's another kind of scene like that. And then her love interest is there too. But I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. And also speaking of Hell's Moving Castle, if you're on Instagram, you should follow the Diana Wynne Jones hashtag because the fo- Ugh, there's exciting stuff happening. The Folio Society is doing a competition for choosing an illustrator who's going to illustrate the folio edition of Hell's Moving Castle, which, oh my God, I'm so excited yeah, to how own. Many, how many more words can we put in a sense that are just like shine with happy yes, brilliance? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everyone, their illustrations are being posted under the hashtag and it's so cool to yeah. see all the different representations some, just some of the story. incredibly talented artists. Such amazing work. Um, yeah, definitely go check it out. Okay, so we've established a little bit of background. Um, we starting did a, old and new impressions. Yeah, diving into old and new impressions. I hadn't read um, this book. Had you read this? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> we got a the next one. The next book we're doing, Madeline did read when young. So we're gonna get you. Can we say the name of the book that we're doing next? Uh, sure. Yeah, we're doing Artemis Fowl. Oh next. yeah. No, I read yeah. that a lot. Um, to finish my old impressions um 
So this book uh, was very important to me when I was young. I always thought that I thought that epistolary novels were like super cool mm-hmm. um, and I would try to seek them out. And it was kind of a good era. <laughs> I feel like it was a time when there were a bunch being released. There was a series that the author of the Babysitter's Club did with another author that were also letters that friends were writing back and forth that I had that I liked when I was pretty young. Um, And that I remember getting older and like reading Dracula for the first time, which is a set of letters. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. It's high art. (laughs) I don't know. I I still really enjoy an epistolary novel. I just read... um, the Guernsey Potato Peel Pie and Literary Society, which is also a set of letters. Very, I, it was good. I recommend it. The Netflix movie is bad. Read the book instead. Um, you know what? I, never mind. And yeah, I think this book just kind of set me up for a lifetime <laughs> of a, a love of letter books. Yeah. Um, and something that I now realize is like kind of groundbreaking about this book is that I think it was actually one of the early examples of... Um, Victorian, Edwardian, or Regency era English society with fantasy elements. Like, I feel like Mm. it came out in 1988, and now we have, um, like, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and, like, the other, yeah, monstrous, uh, specific English historical period books. Um, Okay, yeah, I know what you mean. I actually just learned in doing research for the episode that there's now a genre term for this type of book, which is gas lamp fantasy. Um, cool. It was coined in 2006 by the artist, uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounce her name, Kaja Folio, um, because she had a comic called Girl Genius that she didn't want people to just call steampunk. <laughs> she was oh. like, it's not steampunk. I need to find some other way to describe it. Yeah. Um, and gas lamp stories are usually set in the 19th century, but with magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so they typically are anywhere from the Regent's era to like beginning of World War II. Okay. Um, or World War One. Okay. Yeah. So that was also kind of cool to think about. Um, so is is the terror gas lamp the fantasy? the show? Um, it happened. Well, yeah. So the time period of the actual uh, the Lost Expedition, eighteen forty five to eighteen forty eight. Yeah, yeah. I, I would totally say that. Yeah. And there's qualifies as gas magical lamp elements. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, the terror also a show we've both been. Uh, mainlining. <laughs> I don't really know how it's, to it's really good. Our consumption of it. I don't want to totally um, go off track here, but it is not for ch- children. It's not for the youngins. No, it's the youngins uh, should not watch it. Very disturbing. Yeah, <laughs> I will say it's on AMC. So I think yeah. you need to be like a very full grown adult. Like I think if I'd watched yeah. it even like five or six years ago, I it would have messed me up. Versus now, I'm able to appreciate it on all its different levels Agreed. without it scarring me. <laughs> Agreed. But I think I think some of you, some of our listeners would really enjoy it. So yeah. Totally. I do, I totally. It's a good recommendation. We are like That's throwing out, out there. recommendations. It's been it's been cold lately. Place. We've been watching a, I've been watching a lot of um, stuff instead of going on night walks. Uh, here in Seattle we have a uh, we've, we're having a record breaking February and yes. uh, that means we got like five whole inches of snow on the ground and everyone is uh, it's pretty bad. Pretty much a total societal shutdown. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that's fine. We'll be here and we'll be reading. So 
I really appreciate these few authors coming together and this book for creating something kind of unique that to me when I was young was a new sort of experience other than the Diana Wynne Jones, I will say. But in a lot of ways, this book is, I think, an easier read for a younger person than some of Diana Wynne Jones's books. Um, Like, I think it's harder. I think the language is harder, though. I guess I disagree. Um, I feel like but that may also be because I did read a lot more books that had this type of language, right. whereas you did not. Because no. it's something that once you get familiar and comfortable with it, well, right, it feels for the first like twenty pages, I was a little like, oh, ooh. but then I stopped, you mm-hmm. know, stopped seeing a difference in it, and it just became like a kind of lovely thing about the book mm-hmm. um, because it's very enjoyable that like yeah. way of speaking. Uh, yeah. But Diana Wynne Jones's books, I don't know. I guess that there's also there's a huge difference. Which you go ahead and then I'll mention that because this is a big because when I say Diana that we haven't talked about yet, I was just going to say that the magic is harder for me to follow in Diana Wynne Jones's books because it's a little more um, cerebral. Yes, a lot more cerebral, maybe like way more. Yeah, yeah. Here. Everything is really clearly it's pretty explained. straightforward. Yeah. yeah. And magic is more understandable. So uh, Patricia Reedy and Carolyn Stevermer wrote this book literally by sending the letters to one another. They didn't discuss the plot ahead of time. They didn't discuss anything. They just took turns writing a story together and they actually did it as a game. Like it started out as just a fun writing exercise for the two of them because they were friends um, and they were like in a writer's group together. And uh, do you, do you want to guess who's who? Do you have an idea before I say, <laughs> um, I haven't read Carolyn, any of Carolyn Stevermeyer's yeah. other books, but I've read so many of Patricia Reed's well, books. So I, I could tell it. when I started it. rereading it. I bet that Patricia C. Reedy was Cecilia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's correct. Um, Yeah, which you can tell as you go on. because, And that's the fun thing um, about each of them taking a character is like they get to have a really unique perspective and tone of voice. And it's like, I that character is me and this character is you. Yeah. Um, They said that, and the afterword to the book is about this, they take turns kind of telling the story of how it was made um, because they weren't going to publish it, but then they were like, oh, I don't know, I can't stop thinking about this and thinking about these characters. Okay. And they started like sending each other letters like on a daily basis because they just wanted to yeah. keep going and keep telling this story. Um, and they did, uh, you know, clean up the draft um, sure. of all the letters sure. to another and took out like some threads that never ended up going anywhere and uh-huh. fleshed out some characters that became more important. Um, but it's largely just their letters to each other. And that's why I feel like this book is so much feels fun. So natural. Yeah, it feels so, it's such a rush, such a pleasure. Like you can really tell that the two of them were just like flexing. Like, yeah, this feels so good. And that actually makes, And not getting hung up on writing a specific story. Right. And that actually makes total sense to me about, especially about some of the plot elements and mm-hmm. how they felt so realistic. Like, real life rather than everything being so serendipitous, even though these plots are woven together very intricately. Like when, 
Like when Cecilia smashes the chocolate pot because mm-hmm. you don't think that's how it's going to go down. And yeah. it's because Cecilia wasn't doing Kate's thing. She was doing Cecilia's thing. And yeah. she was just like, there's the chocolate pot. I'm going to break it and get over with this. Yeah. And you feel the character's frustrations with the two men who are like, be careful. We have to go slowly. Right. I have a plan, but I'm not really sure what it is. And I'm not going to tell you. And they're yeah. like, no, I'm going to smash the chocolate pot. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to yeah. do something that will move action for it. And you could also tell that it's the two writers being like, okay, I'm going to do this thing now. Yeah. Like, I'm going to set it off. Yeah. Which is super, super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know that when I read the book when I was young. I am not sure if I just never read the afterword then or if we had an, the older edition that maybe didn't have it packaged quite that way. Oh, okay, um, right. Yeah. So having an appreciation for the unique writing approach um, also made the reread really fun because I was looking specifically for those elements where it's clear that they are playing that kind of game and it makes you think of you know the game where you like write a piece of a story and pass the paper to someone else or you draw a part of a body and fold it over and pass (laughs) the paper to someone else that was a favorite of ours and ours were always like never never bordering on but straight up horrifying <laughs> like, just try to make them as a ghoulish up as mishmash of monstrous yeah. body parts no it was yeah. never like these different parts of a human body no, it was yeah. always like an eldritch horror a shadow creature <laughs> you'd put down missing the little lines for the neck and then it would be just like a gelatinous blob <laughs> or like they would just be headless <laughs> Yep. Um, but, you know, that game, but being done by two people who are incredibly talented. <laughs> Probably turn out a little a little differently. So, yeah, I love all of that. Mm-hmm. And now, like 40 minutes into the podcast, I think we can wrap up Old and New Impressions, <laughs> our first segment. Well, we touched on a lot of stuff yeah, in that first segment. We touched on magic systems, a little, little bit of, uh, oh, romantic... Romantic realism. Yeah, romantic realism. Um, But yeah, let's discuss their relationships Mm -hmm. a little bit more. So we already discussed it from like a marriage um, Mm -hmm. standpoint. Yeah. I So the relationship between James and Cecilia and the relationship between Kate and Thomas, um, they are also very Jane Austen-esque because in Austin books, you end up with the person who irritates you the most yeah, because you can verbally spar with them and you like inspire one another to greater heights of sparring. Yeah. They just really tick you off. And it Um, never gets boring. Yeah. And it's always fun. Um, And I do, it does wrap up in like a kind of pad way, but that is also a perfect mirroring of other Regency novels, specifically Jane Austen. Like it's always like, Okay, getting married. Mm-hmm. Done with that. Um, but they go on pretty cool adventures along the way, and they do get to know like one another's positive and negative attributes pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I really, I just have to say this, that one of my favorite things in the book was James Charlton like continually terribly sneaking around like you just see that this, thread was so funny this dude in like full regency fancy he, aristocrat dress yeah, like he dresses yeah, yeah, yeah across the lawn like and he keeps being commented yeah. on how amazing his wardrobe was <laughs> and then says he's always like out of the corner of my eye <laughs> i saw a black figure in the bushes james again <laughs> like you know like crashing through one bush and falling into the next like 
the least subtle figure ever. It's really fantastic. James is also a really funny character because he's not like special in the way that the other characters are. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's pretty much on the fringes of even the main conflict Mm -hmm. (laughs) at all times. Like he's just in Essex creeping around trying to spy on Sir Sir Hillary. Um, He is incredibly devoted to Thomas. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's a very loyal friend. Yeah. And I I also love the kind of fun. um, And this is something that I feel like is really appealing when you're a young reader too. like best friend pairs, like the two best friend pairs get married and now they can Mm -hmm. go on adventures together. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And I just like both Kate and Cecilia's devotion to one another and James and Thomas's Mm -hmm. to one another is it's nice to see. I want a book very wholesome. James and Thomas's letters. Although, mm. are they talking at all? Because I feel I like don't they're, think they're, they're not communicating well. Well, I mean, then literally they're messed just one another all through Kate and Cecilia because yeah. they're worried about suspicion. Right. Yeah, no, their um, messages would literally just be like a fraudy face on a pe- scrap of paper. <laughs> Yeah, but we but even so we get some fun characterization of James like that he has these amazing horses that he takes really good care of and he's an mm-hmm. excellent rider. Um <laughs> and yeah, it's just like creeping around the countryside all the time dressed in his amazing clothes, uh, looking uh, looking fine. Um and Thomas we I think probably learn the most about um mm-hmm. because he's just like a more enigmatic character to start with and he's also the damsel. He is. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Because he's being magically weakened yeah. until Cecilia smashes the mm-hmm. chocolate pot. Again, very howl like. Yes. Very he is like almost exactly like how Yeah. Well, except um, for the fact is, that James is the one who's the flamboyant dresser. True. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would need like a kind of mishmash of the yeah. two to really get there. And yeah, and Tom but Thomas has the penchant for like, I'm working on something. I'll see you in two weeks. Right. Yeah. And then just disappearing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Being very mysterious. Like, oh, but your like, brother was turned into a tree. I put him somewhere safe. Yeah. Don't having good intentions, it. but being scattered and like, yeah. I also appreciate the other love interests, Oliver and Robert, are like fully useless men. <laughs> Completely. We're like, what do I do? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Like, so useless. Oliver gets turned into a tree and then, like, just goes to stay in the countryside. Yeah, just completely disappears. And Robert is like, I want to marry Dorothea, but, like, what do I do? Sigh. I can't. Yeah. And both Kate and Cecilia are like, no, you you can. Actually, (laughs) nothing's stopping you. (laughs) But I'll help you. Um... Yeah, so I didn't. Uh, I, I these relationships were fun, as you I imagined. Enjoyed them. I, yeah, that I would. I, I liked them. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated watching them happen. I don't like that Thomas's affectionate uh, nickname for Kate is Dimwit. It's kind of weird. <laughs> kind of mean. Yeah. Um, but I know that it's also ironic. Like she's obviously intelligent right and, and he knows that and she yeah. shows that time and time again and like mm-hmm. she and Cecilia both figured things out before yeah. the other dudes I do too I think that I appreciate Kate because she isn't um she doesn't have inherent magical abilities like she isn't you know quote-unquote special the way Cecilia mm-hmm. is but she still has 
incredible strengths mm-hmm. um, yeah. and other really Which interesting really smart. characteristics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't, I mean, if you were to like between the two of them compare like the better character, I genuinely think it would be hard to say. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's amazing that the two authors accomplished that mm-hmm. um, when yeah. this was structured and created the way it was. And I just appreciate the agency that -hmm. they gave both of these um, young women, despite their scenery and how uh, Kate was the one who first said to uh, Thomas, I love you, you dummy. So, and then he had to reciprocate and it was kind of the same on the other side too, where Mm -hmm. like both of these men obviously had feelings for both of these women, but the women had to like, get them there be after acknowledging their own feelings, yeah. which was good. Instead of just being like, oh, like, oh, these things are happening to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and their partners both appreciate their independence. Mm-hmm. They both, yes. even, you know, no matter how much they're like, why did you do this? Just because they're like freaking out mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah. They like that they're taking steps to mm-hmm. move their lives forward and resolve yeah. their own conflicts. And, and that's part of the reason why their marriages don't, frighten me right. and upset me at the end of the book because you can tell that these men will treat them like partners mm-hmm. not like lessers yeah exactly yeah. um so yeah i was i was very into all of that mm-hmm. on reread yeah. i was pleasantly surprised i was concerned that i'd be like irritated by the double wedding <laughs> this is officially the first book we've covered with the double wedding well it doesn't even ha- they say like okay but you'll y'all gotta get out here and the only reason they want to have a double wedding is because they don't want to have all the dumb traditional trappings of weddings mm-hmm. like they mm-hmm. just want to get married so they can live their lives together which it's i'm true. into I think it's time to discuss the titular chocolate pot and all that it holds within, a.k.a. pretend food. And pretend chocolate. And pretend chocolate that I wish was real chocolate. I'll rustle up some chocolate. I ate some M&M's while I was finishing reading this morning. I just needed uh, something. Pretty. There's a lot of space between old (laughs) M&M's and hot drinking chocolate. The old bag of M&M's that your mom left at your place. Was it from Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not not to disparage M&M's. I appreciate that. No, and chocolate lasts forever, but like, you know, drinking chocolate. So the chocolate pot is one of the reasons I was compelled to pick this book up in the first place as a young pretend food lover. Mm. Um, Sadly, you know, I wish the chocolate pot were in the book more. (laughs) It's not. It's quite shapely. (laughs) It's shapely. A very attractive chocolate it pot. It is. That chocolate pot is hot. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> it's glowing. I love that its little top is floating off it on the cover. Magical. It it is hot. It's a hot pot. I don't know what hot else pot. to say. Um we sadly don't get that much description of the drinking chocolate itself because yeah. the focus is on the pots. Yeah. You know, that's a disservice to the drinking chocolate, if I say so There myself. is some description of like different tea cookies and cakes and sandwiches. Cream buns. Cream buns. Yeah. Want me some little cream buns. Um, yeah, we've got cream buns. We've got, uh, like you said, a few other tea foods. Um There are a lot of, uh, like, remedies, um, you know, remedy foods, Mm -hmm. because the ants are forcing them on... Buckwheat water. Barley Barley water. water. (laughs) I also love the moment when Lady Sylvia is trying to force Thomas to drink barley water, (laughs) because it's like, oh, 
that was just a pretty um, universal yeah. thing that moms would force on their kids, I guess. Uh, it does not sound good, especially no, it when like it was described as a puddle of milky liquid. It, it sounds really bad. It sounds, it sounds bad. Really bad. Yeah, I imagine it as just like gummy. Um, yeah, like if you like put water in flour. Of barley soaking in something. Yeah. yeah. Gross. Gross. Um, and there's also... Aunt Elizabeth's cough remedy or cold oh, yeah, remedy with blackberries. Um, with blackberries, which sounds kind of interesting. I yeah. feel like if I were ill, I'd want something. I, I was imagining it as like vapor rub with a berry vibe, um, like mm. that kind of scent. Okay, uh, but then the thickness of yeah, just like a <laughs> not even a cough syrup but i was thinking of it more as like molasses i guess oh okay i was just thinking of like disgusting cough syrup cough syrup yeah i hate <laughs> well cough she said syrup. she didn't mind it so much so i figured it had to have something kind of appealing okay. about it um and then when kate was sick she got a breakfast of eggs and sausage and toast yeah, she had a nice breakfast some other stuff it was an english breakfast it sounded good um, but yeah, pretend food doesn't get a super strong showing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. Probably because there are society ladies in Regency England and they didn't eat very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they ate what they could get their hands on, yeah. <laughs> which was just teas for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, if I need some Patricia Reedy pretend food, I can just go read Dealing with Dragons. Cherry's Jubilee. Cherry's Jubilee is there waiting for me always. Mm-hmm. I like that this magic system is so structured because it makes sense that since it's totally integrated into their society, it's like it has clear rules that everyone understands. Yeah. Um, like the fact that, hey, if you have some inherent magical ability, you can steal a book about making charm bags. And just from reading that book, you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Yeah. Um, I also like that Sir Hillary's library holds just like all kind of mixed together, you know, a book on making charm bags and then how to steal a book on sucking the life out of your ability and life for yeah. fun and profit. Yeah. It's just, um, that's the world that they live and they're in. They're like right yeah. next to each other on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. It's really like some Voldemort type stuff. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just all out there for any passing guest to steal. Um, it, Sir Hillary was, uh, I mean, Miranda and Sir Hillary, we didn't talk about too much as the villains, um, they're villains because they're like pretty straightforward. So Sir Hillary is the more disturbing of the two to me because he's their relative and has been in their lives as they grew up. Um, like they have a few lines where they say like he could have turned us to frogs at any moment. Like they Mm -hmm. were always kind of around him when they were children and then he plans to like make one of them mad mm-hmm. and drive the other to uh, like a life of grief and misery mm-hmm. um, just so that he can get stronger. Right. He's evil though. Well, right. That's, that's the some thing. straight up evil stuff. And I think this is where you can tell that the book was written the way it was, where there isn't, there isn't a larger plot. Uh, or there isn't a larger conflict outside of Miranda and Sir Hillary just want to, like be young and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, there, Which I mean, there isn't. They're evil. A, yeah, there isn't a bigger reason um, or an application for mm-hmm. that magic. Yeah. Um, although I'm curious to see in the sequels mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, I wonder if that develops there. Um, Although they're both, I mean, Miranda is a husk and um, (laughs) Sir Hillary is banished to the continent. So uh, he gets his magic taken away. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm can imagine that he would possibly pop up again though. Um, yeah, they're, they both have some great, uh, there's some great villain, uh, speechifying, um, in the final moments before they take care of their victims mm-hmm. that allows for the younger ladies with the help of, um, Lady Sylvia in one case, and then in the other, uh, Cecilia figures it out herself mm-hmm. how to yeah. break her spell that's trapped her. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I appreciated that too because it it had it was just fun. This book is just really fun. Yeah, I just, it was I, really I, enjoyable. Even though I know it's a cliche, I just love those moments when it's like I'll keep asking them questions. Yeah, but how <laughs> did you do it? Like, what are you going to do with me? Well, and I mean, the villains are such villains that it right. makes sense that it would work with them because they're literally like they're really vain and you know they're happy to just be like, oh yeah. And Miranda, for her part. It's also so funny that she puts a spell on all the men to make them fall in love with Dorothea, who wants nothing to do with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated that uh, little plot point um, that she wasn't like basking in the no, attention. She hated she it. Like, oh, yeah. No. She just wanted to be with her mopey face. Um, and it is pretty disturbing that Miranda uses her stepdaughter as a pawn i don't know where dorothea's dad is she's not he's not he's just good at his job yeah i mean possibly he's been some sort of magic by miranda yeah i think so yeah but yeah and miranda even says like if dorothea would have got married to thomas i would have gotten rid of dorothea after that Mm -hmm. point and she would have just like been Dorothea. so she would have killed her and taken her place like miranda is evil (laughs) she really is um and I, I like that uh, Mr. Wexton is there to serve as our kind of educator yeah. into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreci- I really appreciate him for being so invested in educating Cecilia, yeah. um, even before it's strictly allowed by her family. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, yeah, okay, I'll like go for sure along with these. Because he recognizes but, talents, and we and we learn about why um, Aunt Elizabeth is so anti magic, and that she was very talented, um, but her uh betrothed died as a result of something that sir hillary did right yeah it kind of seems like sir hillary stole his power yeah i don't know why aunt elizabeth like even seems to be cool with him for any amount of time but i guess it could all be in service of society and well yeah and also maybe she's just trying to like get out whatever it is that he's trying to do like try to follow through to the follow that thread through yeah because either way her actions do help to lead to sir hillary Mm -hmm. getting stripped of his magic and banished to the continent yeah it's true and i appreciate the gender equality when it comes to magical ability and Mm -hmm. education yeah um because it's fascinating that in this society it's still just like region sierra england and other ways but magic isn't magical education is it egalitarian isn't restricted yeah. to men alone mm-hmm. so i appreciate no, that very good point yeah so should we pick our badass ladies but how <laughs> i know um this book has so many great female characters um 
Our Badass Lady Meter, just for those who haven't listened before, is one where we pick our favorite female character and talk a a little bit about just what Mm -hmm. makes her such a badass. And And we're reclaiming the word badass, not using it in a straightforward manner. (laughs) That's right. And she gets a rating on our patented Badass Lady Meter scale that Madeline hates. (laughs) I'm learning to like it. And my rating is... But who... (laughs) Is for Cecilia. Okay. Cecilia, and I rate her one beautiful but thoroughly shattered chocolate pot. Hmm. Nice. Thank you. So I'll pick Kate because we can give them both some love here. And as we mentioned, I think they're both excellent characters. Um, Kate, I'm really impressed by for being able to go into London immediately become in, like involved in a dangerous plot mm-hmm. and she keeps her head not be afraid no in, instead of shying away from any of this she's constantly putting herself in the center of the action and trying to figure out what she can do to help and even though she has to put up with um like honestly she doesn't really have people she's close to in london to start until at, at least until she starts some. Um, you know, becoming some kind of ally with Thomas. Um, her aunt is absolutely horrible, her, as we've mentioned, and her cousin Georgina um, isn't much better. I mean, she's not as openly toxic, but she... She's pretty lame. She, like, blames her misdeeds and, like, her gambling problem. And she steals... <laughs> she steals her jewelry to, to gamble. gamble. and loses it. And there's some horrible, like, family history with gambling debts and, mm-hmm. like, some really unsavory-sounding things. So it's just, like, all the more upsetting we don't know what happened to their parents um yeah uh but she doesn't have those Um, doesn't have those but kate kate does a really admirable job in a new place in a new society um with a lot of daggers coming at her and uh poisoned chocolate which is actually a magical sucking catalyst um but she just kills it Mm -hmm. so my rating for Kate is all the blue dresses being removed from her wardrobe forever. (laughs) Um, And I think that is everything for this episode. Thank you again, Dan, for requesting that we cover this. This is a book I loved so much when I was young and still love, uh, but I had kind of forgotten about it. And it's so much fun to get requests where I I look it up and I'm like, whoa, that was formative to me. (laughs) And now I shall pay it my respects. (laughs) Um, If you would like to make a request of your own, you can find us on the internet at dragonbabiespodcast.com. Send us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Send us a DM on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod or Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast. Or just mail us a magical chocolate pod. We don't care. Put your request inside. Please do that. (laughs) Please do it all the time. Um, Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. And if you have a minute, if you just give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that would be so awesome. Thoroughly appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll be back soon with Artemis Fowl, as we already mentioned. So I guess we're doing that now. (laughs) I thought that Owen Colfer was a woman for the longest time. No. Found out just a couple years ago that uh, he is not. More on that next time. (laughs)
I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time, goodbye.